It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Thursday. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley, from our studios in San Diego. It's time for Hacksaw's Headlines, our weekly Thursday podcast. And John, have we got a ton of topics on the table coming off one season, going to the next, and still ahead, drafts free agency, etc. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. I was watching all these playing games on the NBA. So this is a great time of the year. I mean, I know we're kind of burdened. We've got to do our taxes, right? We want to get that over with so we can watch more sports. Okay, let's start with Major League Baseball because we've got a, a, a group of storylines here to talk about. And we'll start with the San Diego Padres. Yeah, I mean, they had this uh, road trip in New York and, and in Atlanta. And there was some good news. There was some bad news. And we're still, I think, as as Padre fans, we're, our expectations are so high, and they don't seem to be quite there yet. Yeah, you, you know, you win three in Atlanta, and then you do beat the Mets, and you think to yourself, okay, this is a pretty good team. But the record is seven and six. Yeah, exactly. And, and nobody's <laughs> running away with anything in the National League West. Are a lot of storylines to talk about with the Padres as, as they kick off this homestand with Milwaukee, then with Atlanta, then they go back on the road. Let's talk about the offense. Uh, Xander Bogart's X-Man really hitting well. Playing pretty rock-solid shortstop. Very pleased so far, 327 batting average. Hassan Kim playing out of position, hitting 289. To me, he looks better at shortstop than he does at second base, but you got the X-Man at shortstop. Manny Machado's cooled off, but over a long season, Manny will be Manny. I hope it's going to be 290 with home runs. Has not happened yet. Cruz, some games good, other games no Batting average a little bit over 300. If he's hot and I'm Bob Melvin, I put him in the lineup and just let him stay in the lineup till he stops hitting. I don't care about <laughs> matchups. Yeah. The guy can produce, or at least has produced. Uh, Juan Soto is a total mystery to me. I think he's out of sync. I think he's out of sync with the pitch clock. He just does not look right. There's something mechanically flawed with him. It's like he's trying to hit every pitch into Mission Bay. Uh, I'm, I'm really disappointed. Because he was 232 last year, now he's 217 this year. Now, granted, he had a couple of good hits uh, against the Mets. Maybe this will be the statalist. But 217 is 217. That's the way I feel about it. Uh, I don't know what's happened to Jake Cronenworth. You know, he did not have a good season at the plate last year. He's hitting 217 as we begin the homestand. He's still not having a good season this year. Azucar, utility guy, he's hitting 211. Matt Carpenter, He's hitting 200, and he's had a lot of at-bats. So he's a utility man. I don't know maybe that he should be in the lineup every day. Odor's hitting a buck 12, please. Um, <laughs> I'm really disappointed in Nola. He's hitting 103. Now, I don't know whether foul ball in the face in spring training has impacted him. Expected a lot more. And runners in scoring position collectively, this team— that high payroll, it's hitting 205. Ooh. 205 with the runners in scoring position. Yes, it's small sample size, but they're getting paid. That's a big issue. Wow. And I mentioned this last week. I don't like what I'm seeing behind home plate. Opposing runners, 16 stolen bases against 17 attempts against wow. Padre pitching. That has to change defensively. Mm -hmm. So those are the statistics we talk about Padre baseball right now. It's, to me, you know, it's not a complete team at this point. Uh, I know there's an awful lot of people yapping about once we get such and such back, maybe it'll change. Okay, let's go through the other headlines. Ryan Weathers, they worked on his mechanics. They worked on pitch release. 
He's pitching really gritty ball. I think he's had two pretty decent starts. And the starts at City Field, when he went bases loaded, nobody out first inning, yes. I thought to myself, John, here, here we go. <laughs> yeah, this is not going to work. Yeah. And and he, he got out of it, and then he got stronger and stronger and stronger. So I'm pleased with his progress that they've figured out, and maybe he's figured out, how to cope with adversity. I don't know what to tell you about Blake Snell except the enigma. Uh, he is nowhere near the guy that was 21-4 and four in Tampa Bay. Hasn't been the same pitcher since he came off the surgery. And I know you can sales pitch me at Petco Park, John, sitting along the third baseline drinking beer. Lee, <laughs> look at what he did the second half of each of the seasons. It's a 162-game schedule, and it's driving me out of my mind. His <laughs> statistics, I mean, think about this, 6.92 ERA right now. We're not talking about a first or second year guy. We're talking about a vested veteran. Yeah. With a 6.92 ERA. 13 innings, 28 base runners. He's pitching from the stretch the minute he leaves the breakfast table. He's got guys <laughs> on base the whole game. That's a whip over two. Yeah, that's just, it's <laughs> killing me. And the opposing hitters? 322 batting average. Ooh. That's a lot of money for a guy that's pitching half a season for you and is really staggering and struggling. And to me, he can't figure it out. You know, is it is it stride? Is it mechanics? Is it arm slot? Is it release point? We're talking vested veteran. We're not talking the kid Ryan Weathers or Adrian Morion. Mm-hmm. We're talking about vested veteran by this point in his career. You think Blake Snell would know how to handle the adversity and the mechanics, etc. Just out of sync. And if you don't like the 6.92 ERA, understand this. Last year at this time, first half of the season, earn run average was 5.60. Year before that, it was 5.44. Enigma. Mm. I, I don't know what to tell you, except they got to keep giving them the ball. But, geez, at the end of the day, I, I don't care about live arm. I don't care about 96 miles an hour. If you can't get beyond fourth and fifth inning, and if you can't pitch – Without getting all these guys on bases every inning you're on the mound, it's not good. Joe Musgrove, cortisone shot. I just don't like this. I don't buy the theory. Well, they had a cortisone shot on Monday. He's going to be able to throw on Friday or make a rehab start. Now, Paso will be good to go. I just don't think you rally back from cortisone shots that quickly. Uh, Tatis, not hitting the ball real well at El Paso. Now, I grant you, he went three for four the other night. They're playing him two games on, takes a day off. So we got another week of Tatis in El Paso. We'll see. He's six for 17 collectively. But, John, that's against AAA pitching. I thought he'd be teeing off mm-hmm. on these guys and doing a lot of different things. You know, and the other topic is, is Pomerantz. And, you know, they wanted him to start uh, a game in El Paso. And I just don't know if there's been another reaction, if there's more elbow issues. Is he coming out again without having the chance to pitch? To me, it's a great mystery. And, and, you know, if, if he can't pitch at AAA right now on rehab assignments, and if there's another setback, that means longer periods of time to rehab, and there's no guarantee he's going to come back because he has not shown any ability to come back from the elbow inflammation post-surgery more than a year ago. He's not pitched in a Padre game since 2021. So, John, you're going to solve the... Batting order crisis, you're going to tell me your thoughts on Snell. And are we wishing and hoping for Musgrove and Tatis, or we just need to be patient because it may take a little bit more time? Topics on the table belong to you. Oh, my God, that's a long list right there. I mean, as far as the batting order goes, yeah, Soto is I – don't, I don't get it. I still don't get it. But you figure you just it, – it's – you know, he's going to regress to the mean, which means he's going to eventually perform the way he has always performed. We're just – keep waiting. But – you know, the rest of that lineup, Nola was a good hitter in, in Seattle when we traded for him. At the time of that trade, I liked that trade. I mean, we're getting rid of Andres Munoz, who was injured at the time. You had the Ty France, good guy, but didn't really fit. And you're thinking, yeah, this maybe makes sense to get a catcher to replace Austin Edges. And now the dude doesn't hit at all. So, you know, is this the time for, um, you know, Campusano to step up and be the man? I mean, what do you think? Well, they're going to have to play him. If Nola can't throw anybody out, he can't. He's one, one for 15 throwing guys out this season. And we both have agreed the running game is now back in baseball. Oh, yeah. And everybody's stealing baseballs and everybody's stealing pitches on the Padre pitchers because the catchers aren't getting the ball there fast enough and not getting there accurately. 
they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. So that's a big issue there. Um, your take on the injured guys, your take on Tatis. <laughs> okay. your, first of all, your take on Snell. Oh, Snell. Snell, I, you know, I like him. I just like his whole persona and his attitude. He's a lot of fun to root for. But, oh, my God, does he drive you crazy when he's up at the, at the on the mound? And this guy has got talent oozing out of his fingers. It's there's, you know, he's got issues between his ears. You know, I think he gets in his head too much and he thinks too much and he overthinks. That's kind of my take on it. But it's insane how every year in the beginning of the season, he just doesn't perform. So it makes us wonder, you know, maybe Tampa Bay knew what they were unloading on us. And they were saying, you know, yeah, now you can deal with this basket case. But uh, boy, when he's on, he's on. I mean, when he's on, he could be just so dominating. But I think the the Padres, they're definitely not going to renew his contract at the end of the season. You look at all the players they feature and all the billboards and the calendars. It's never Blake Snell. It's April. Does that mean we have to wait till August, till he starts to actually do something and earn his pay? Mm-hmm. Holy cow. And it just <laughs> this movie just keeps repeating itself three years in a row. I mean, I for a guy that's got velocity and a guy that was twenty one and four at one point, just to have no consistency and guys are on base every inning that he's on yeah. the mound. It just it's got to drive it, Melvin it, nuts exactly. And then I, I guess we're holding our breath on Musgrove, and I I might be in the minority or maybe I'm in the majority. I just have no faith at all that Pomeranz can ever come back. Yeah, Pomeranz, you kind of wonder how badly does he want it. You know, is or is he just sort of milking this because this has been going on for so long? It doesn't make any sense. And then Musgrove get the cortisone shot in the shoulder because he dove for that ball in the infield. That was an injury that we didn't expect. I think you know Joe. There's no question he wants to perform. Um, so I, I expect him to be back. I, I'm very interested to see what the Padres do when Tatis returns. You know who are they going to cut loose? Is it? Is it Dahl? I mean, I still can't figure out why in the heck Roughnet Odor is on this roster. So did, is he the guy they, they jettison when Tatis comes back? I don't know. We'll see. Somebody somebody will be DFA'd at the point that Tatis comes back, and that'll obviously be a week from now on April 20th. But the burning question is, if he's not ribbing it up in the Coast League against young pitching, what's he going to do when he faces max effort aces on a pitching staff. Well, are they pitching around him? Because remember that one uh, pitcher got angry that Tatis, you know, pimped his home run when he went around the bases. I don't know. Uh, I, I have confidence. I mean, we saw him in, in, again spring training, but when he was at the top of the lineup, Melvin just was in love with Tatis. The way his dynamic, dynamic athleticism just completely changed the way that offense worked. I hope he's a 290 hitter. I hope he's not a 240 hitter because physically he's not back to face Major League pitching. Mm -hmm. Only time will tell. Okay, that's we're talking Major League Baseball. Before we talk about the next topic on the table, which is the NBA, I shoot three-point shots, he shoots air balls. (laughs) Uh, John, tell everybody about subscribing to what we're doing on our weekly podcast uh, and just fill in the blanks about how the fans forum works. All right. So uh, if you want to subscribe, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton's on all the popular audio podcast platforms. Make sure you also subscribe on YouTube. Click on that bell to, you know, get the updates. You know, when we when we release all these video clips and video shorts, you'll get alerts when we drop new content throughout the week. And if you like to get involved in the fans forum, we've already got a number of people that have already chimed in here. So we'll get you involved. The fans forum segment is at the very end of Hacksaw's Headlines where we take comments and questions from fans, from YouTube commenters. So if you want to get in line, just drop your comment, your live, your, uh, your comment or question in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. And go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. I write on it every day. If you check it every morning, you'll be the smartest man in the room. And by the way, don't forget to give us a thumbs up. And by the way, whether you watch us on live stream or you watch us after the fact, share, share everything you have here with all your followers and friends. Let's talk NBA basketball. Oh my gosh. I mean, so I, I was watching this the game last night. Was it last night when the Lakers or was it two nights ago? Two nights ago. Two nights ago. I'm getting them all confused. The Lakers ended up 
I thought they were going to blow that game in, in the playing game, and they came roaring back. I mean, that was something. But I, I'm kind of I'm anxious to see how the Clippers are going to do when, when they start their games. On we go to the first round of the playoffs after we complete the play-in games. The first round starts Saturday. Lakers play come Sunday. Clippers play on Sunday, too. Lakers-Memphis. It's going to be a hell of a series. Lakers did not win that game against Minnesota. Minnesota gave them that game. Yeah. How do you blow the kind of lead Minnesota blew? How do you commit 24 turnovers in a game? <laughs> uh, so the, the yeah. Lakers are feeling good about themselves. They're in the playoffs, but they got to go to Memphis in a best-of-seven series. Memphis has got Ja Morant, but there's more than just him. they got a pile of athletes, and Memphis pushes the ball up the floor. Nobody's talking about Dylan Brooks. Nobody's talking about Desmond Baines. Nobody's talking about the other guys around Morant. They got three different guys averaging 20 points plus per game, and they got the best three-point shooter in the league, the ex-clipper Luke Kennard. There's a ton of firepower on that Memphis team. And they play with their hair on fire, at least at home. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a huge challenge. Now, I grant you, the Lakers got LeBron, and the Lakers got Anthony Davis. I don't know what after that the Lakers have. I sat there and I watched D'Angelo Russell Russell go one for nine. (laughs) In the most critical game of the season, go for one for nine and have no clue. Uh, Austin Reeves gives you everything he's got. He's a grinder and a banger. The rest of the bench, to me, is really, really iffy. I think the Lakers have a depth problem. And I think the intangible thing is the Lakers go to Memphis. Those old dogs, the King and AD, they play a lot of minutes. In a seven-game series, mm-hmm. how is their body going to hold up in a seven-game series when you play every other day and you play the kind of minutes LeBron and Anthony Davis play and produce with? I have no doubt the superstars are going to play well. Is there enough firepower around them to help them? And can an older team hold up against this Memphis team that just goes up and down the floor? So that's where the Lakers are. The Clippers got Kawhi. They got three-point shooters. And they got two centers that are playing really well. There will be no Paul George sighting in the Clipper-Phoenix Sun series. Of course, the Denver, Denver Booker issue is a big issue for Phoenix. They're a different team without his firepower, and he's out. Now, they do get Kevin Durant back. How long? How many minutes? How productive can Kevin Durant be, considering he's been out for such an extended period of time uh, with his latest physical malady, the calf? Uh, Phoenix is obviously playing really hard. Phoenix at home plays really, really well. Phoenix can be a really dangerous NBA basketball team. Uh, I I just, you know, what are they going to get? What's Phoenix going to get out of Aiton, the center? He can be dominant, and then he disappears for large chunks of time. He's not in the conversation now about the greatness. you got Chris Paul, CP3. He's there. There's no doubt that in given games and given series, he can damage you. But can he do it night to night to night in a seven-game series? Uh, Campaign, pretty good player. If he's hot, if his shot is falling, Cameron Payne's a very dangerous dude. Um, I, I just think you got the stars, Durant versus Kawhi, but the support talent is going to be the difference. If the Clippers can hit threes, and they've shown in certain games that you know they can sink twenty three point shots. If that happens, and the Clippers win this series, if these guys go away and Karai has to do it by himself, I'm not sure he can. So, your take: Lakers, Memphis. Your take: Clippers, Suns. Well, again, I I, I was shocked what happened in that Laker game. <sighs> I mean, I I thought for sure they were going to blow it, and you know it it all. I mean, and even at the very end, you know when when AD made that foul with point one seconds, you know it, it seemed like they were doing everything they could to let it slip through their fingers. But now they go to Memphis and John Morant. I mean, he's he's getting in more trouble. I was reading more about a lawsuit that he's involved with with a seventeen year old kid, and I haven't even really do- dove into that. So there's still drama around that program. Um, so we'll see. I mean, you, you got to figure Memphis is going to be heavily favored there. And then when you talk about the Suns, remember when they we traded for Durant, we were like, holy moly. I mean, this is a team that is built to go deep. 
But yeah, injuries, maybe some other things going on. I mean, so this this might be a more interesting series than it really appears on paper because the Clippers are on the rise right now, and I think they could maybe make some damage. I like Tyrone Lue as a coach. I think he going head-to-head with Monty Williams is going to be fascinating because I think Monty's done a good job controlling the egos and making everything come together in Phoenix. And I, I think that's going to be a really good series. Both could go seven, best of seven. Uh, I just don't know about the Lakers' ability of their lead dogs to be able to do it seven times in like a 14-day window because <laughs> they play so many minutes and they have to play so hard to make that thing competitive. Next question. Let's talk about the rest of the playoffs. Oh, yeah. I mean, so I'm really interested because, you know, the the Western division of the um, of the NBA or the Western Conference seems to be still so much better than the East. <laughs> Well, let's go through. Yeah, you know, I, I looked at the first round matchups, and and they're you know obviously the ones we just talked about. I think the most unique first round matchups can be Golden State, Sacramento. I agree. You got you got Curry, and you got Clay Thompson, and you got the always angry Draymond Green, and these guys have worlds of playoff experience. And you got Sacramento, which is the first time in sixteen years have done what the Sacramento Kings have never done. Mike Brown's done a great job. But the Kings are walking down that alley for the first time. You know, no playoff experience. We're glad to be there. We had a really good season. Oh, dude, this is the playoffs. And look at the guys you got. They're going to hit you. And by the way, they got rings on their fingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Golden State, Sacramento, I think it's going to be a fascinating barrier, Bay Area battle for sure. But you look at the top teams in a league, uh, and let's start with Milwaukee. They got Giannis, who's got to stay healthy, uh, but he is he's just one of the great individuals in the league, and they play really well around him. It's just not him, but it's him distributing to a lot of other people. Chris Middleton. Got a good bench, uh, got firepower. Milwaukee is is the real deal. Uh, Boston, we don't get to see the Celtics a lot out here on the West Coast, but Tatum and Brown are dynamic scorers. And you add in Al Horford, warrior-type old man at center who just <laughs> gives him valuable minutes and mm-hmm. he does all the grinding, dirty work you need to do. I think I think Boston's really dangerous team. Philadelphia, I got the MVP in the league, Joel Embiid. I mean, he's a great player. Now, I don't know the health status of James Harden, whether he is really good to go or not. But Embiid, when when you're scoring 50 points, you're scoring all these 40-point games. He just does not wear out. He's a go-to guy uh, for Philadelphia. So I I think Philly's going to cause some damage. Out here in the West, Denver's got Jokic, and they got firepower. Not a, it's not a lot of names that you recognize, but I mean, there's no doubt that Jokic is a huge, skilled big man who shoots the rock. But they got Murray, they got other guys coming off the bench. Um, it's taken them a while to get Michael Porter totally healthy, back surgeries, etc. They're a really dangerous team. Now they're a little erratic. They didn't finish up the season on a real upbeat note, but going to play in Denver. Uh, I think is is really going to be hard. And then obviously we we talked about Morant, the Grizzlies, and all the young guys around him that aren't getting much recognition. Uh, they, to me, are the scariest team of all, even though they don't have their center, Stephen Adams, who's out with his Achilles injury that has just never, ever healed. But, you know, the, those are the hottest teams going to the playoffs. Everybody else is just glad to be there and hope they can go a round or two. And your thoughts? I mean, the, the, the Denver Nuggets, they still have Dan Issel and Kiki Vandaway. Oh. <laughs> I mean, those are the guys I remember from back in the day. I mean, but they shoot the ball. This modern day team with Jokic and his buddies, they shoot the ball like Dan Issel and Kiki Vandaway back in the old ABA days. Right. So so um, I, I think it's exciting that Denver is you know at the forefront because they've been in the lower half of the Western Commerce forever. Um, I'll tell you what. When I when I see the Celtics play, I'm always really impressed with with um, with Tatum. I mean, that guy is a really talented player. But uh, to your point, I am really fired up for this Kings Warriors because you know I used to go to the Warriors games as a kid, and uh, and to have the Kings there in Sacramento, they've been down in the dumps forever, even going back to the tiny Archibald and the Kansas City Omaha Kings and all that. But I just love the whole energy around that Sacramento team when they win, they hit that laser that shoots through the pyramid, and I mean all. All of that is fantastic. So um, 
I just wish it wasn't a first round matchup, you know, because <laughs> one of those teams is going to be ejected from the playoffs, but it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Okay, on we go from the NBA. Let's talk college basketball. Let's talk about what's going up on Montezuma Mesa. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of breaking stories up there with the Aztecs, but I really like this uh, transfer portal that we're getting from SC. Well, after this run to the Final Four and getting to the championship game, the San Diego State has access to a ton of guys that now know who the Aztecs are. Uh, the big issue, though, the intangible issue at San Diego State, they don't have a lot of NIL money. They're giving every player $2,000. That's it. When you see what's gone on in other places, Miami of Florida, Pitt, that have bought players, and we're talking $100,000 to specific players, that works against San Diego State. However, that being said, getting this guy, the Pac-12 uh, sixth man of the year, defensive player of the year, uh, Reese Dixon Waters from Southern Cal. Think about this. He left USC where he had played well, averaged nine points, five assists per game, and lockdown guy, turned down UCLA. Didn't want to go to Pauley Pavilion. Hmm. He's coming to San Diego State based on relationships he had been recruited earlier. So he comes in the front door. He will replace, to a degree, I think, Matt Bradley. Mm-hmm. That being said, now now they got another hole because they have lost Keisha Johnson. The minute he announced he's going to the transfer portal, Brian Dutcher said, thanks very much for the years. Good luck to you. Mm-hmm. That's you, if you cross the line and you announce you're in the transfer portal, you will not be an Aztec. You can't change your mind on that. And then he indicated NBA, going to file for the NBA so he can get evaluated. Uh, you got Jaden Ledee. He's filed for NBA to get evaluated. I hear through the grapevine, a lot of people whispering in his ear, he got an NBA body. Go now, be a second-round draft pick, probably. Mm-hmm. You'll make a roster. They will groom you in how they do business in the NBA in terms of diet, nutrition, weight training, etc. You'll practice. Maybe you get to play a little bit as a second-round pick. You'll be better a year from now rather than going back to college for a year. A lot of mm-hmm. people whispering in his ear. So if I'm Brian Dutcher, now I'm a little bit alarmed that maybe Ledee is changing his mind. Aztecs are in on a number of big men, post players, defensive players, etc. I don't agree with what Keisha Johnson did. Now, I understand kids' family situations can impact you. Mm -hmm. I will say this. We don't know the money situation for his family back in Oakland. They might be destitute. So this is a way for him to graduate, try to get to the NBA, or get a pro contract G League or maybe abroad in Europe to help his family. So I'm not criticizing him for that aspect of the decision if family situations go into the decision. But if he thinks as an NBA player, a guy that averaged seven points, five rebounds a game and disappeared half the time, no, he's not ready. Not ready at all. You know, good luck in the G League playing in Sioux Falls, <laughs> South Dakota, or going abroad to play in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I maintain had he stayed another year, and I said this in the podcast last week, you stay in this whole offseason, you work on your offensive game in and around the basket, on the post, in the lane, you work on your outside shot more, you make yourself into a, a pretty tenable draft pick a year from now. So I just disagree with Johnson making this decision Unless there's an asterisk there, a family financial situation, then I would understand him Mm -hmm. opting out. But why do it now? That's my spin there. Well, I mean, first of all, I love I love uh, Reese Waters getting that uh, transfer from SC. For Keyshawn, um, I think as a fan, we're disappointed to see him leave, especially since he has another uh, year left of eligibility. Is he an NBA draft pick? Probably not. But he has this incredible athleticism, and the guy can jump through the roof, and he's got a great motor. So you know, maybe there's something there. But you, you can't fault him for pursuing more money, either in a bigger NIL deal with another NCAA team or a pro contract. But the, the other part of the story that hasn't been talked about is how both both Ladee and Keyshawn wanted to play different positions. So Ladee was always the five. He wants to be a four. And 
Keyshawn was a four. He wants to be a three. He wants Keyshawn wants to be the inside outside guy, so he's more marketable at the NBA level. And and Ladie feels like he has a lot more to offer than just being a center in the in the lane. So I wonder if that's kind of playing part here because if they stay with the Aztecs, they're going to be locked into the four and the five. We shall see where it goes. I I just think there's a lot of people whispering in a lot of these kids' ears, and I think money is probably a piece of the equation. And then when it comes to matching dollars, what San Diego State can offer through its Mesa Foundation to what somebody else is offering, oh. it's a game over. Yeah, there. for sure. So, you know, it, I, I think Ladia has got great upside. I think he's got an NBA body, and I think a year from now, he could be a first-round pick if he comes back. And in terms of Keyshad. Maybe this family finances more than it is anything else, but I don't think he's an NBA player at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, everybody's got to have 15 guys under contract on your roster, so maybe he's a 15th guy. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about Malachi Flynn, great college player. Has Malachi cracked anybody's standing lineup in Toronto? He's in a, you know, he's two years into his career. <laughs> he's playing some, but at crunch time, was he in the lineup? No. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's in Nick Nurse's doghouse. I mean, he got to play a few uh, like games ago, and he scored 20 points. And, you know, he got an opportunity, and then I was looking at the box score when the Toronto lost in, in their first-round play-in game, and he didn't even get off the bench. You know, coach's decision did not play, and the team ended up only shooting like 50% from the line. You put Malachi in, they would have won that game. On we go. NFL football coming up. Reminder, fans forum right at the end. If you're with us on a live stream, shoot us a question, express an opinion. We will return, serve. We'll give you a response. <laughs> also, check my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. I write on it every day. You'll know everything there is in the world of sports. Don't forget to subscribe to everything we do on our live stream podcast. Share it with all your friends. On we go to the NFL, John. Okay, so yeah, there's a lot going on here with a lot of interesting stories. More quarterbacks in the news. Yeah, let's talk about what's going on. We're a couple weeks out from the National Football League draft. This is intriguing. Houston Texans hold the second pick in the draft. Carolina traded into number one. They're going to take one of the quarterbacks. Houston meeting today with C.J. Stroud. But the bigger rumor is that Houston has now got at least six potential trade partners out there. Somebody that wants to trade in to the number two spot. How far down does Houston want to go? I don't think they want to go too far down. Uh, I've been told that they want to draft Will Anderson, the stud blitz linebacker from the University of Alabama. If they trade from two down to four with Indianapolis. They could probably still get Anderson. If they trade beyond that, that might not happen. So Houston's got an, another first-round pick in addition to the number two pick, so they could still go get a quarterback at 12 if they wanted to. So keep that in mind. Houston is, is playing the trade game. Uh, the More conversation with the Colts, I think, than anything else. The Raiders might be in the mix. Seattle might be in the mix. Seattle's got the fifth pick. They mm-hmm. might jump up to, to two. Raiders have the seventh pick. They might try to jump up to get two. Although what the Raiders are doing makes no sense to me at all. <laughs> you gave Jimmy Garoppolo all this money, and now you're trying to trade up to get maybe C.J. Stroud. That doesn't make any sense. So keep that in mind. Uh, the Baltimore situation. Uh, the Ravens, they get Odell Beckham. Well, they didn't sign him to have some backup quarterback throw bounce passes to him. And before, because of the fact Lamar Jackson was the go-between that convinced Beckham to come to Baltimore, i got to believe this is a slam dunk. Lamar Jackson's going to play for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, I don't know what the terms of the contract are going to be. Uh, another week, and we still have Aaron Rodgers' mail being sent to Green Bay. <laughs> now, there is a new development there. I was told via my network sources that the Packers have gone back and they keep exchanging ideas and the Jets on the value of trading for Aaron Rodgers. And they have gone back and said, we'll take your second round pick this year, New York. You give us your number one next year. Then the Jets came back and said, well, we'll give you the two and would consider giving you the one if you give us a future two a year from now. So they're trying to pick up, the Jets are, an additional draft pick plus AR by giving up their two and giving up their one. So maybe because there is dialogue that started back up, maybe there's going to be a deal 
And it's just that the Green Bay's going to have to flip another pick going towards the Jets with the 38-year-old quarterback to get what they want, which is a two right now and a one uh, a year from now. So stay tuned for that. Uh, New leadership in Denver. How about this storyline? You know, Russell Wilson had just a hard season. Team fell apart around him. Nathan Hackett was overwhelmed as a head coach. Wilson was hurt. They just opened their facility to players to begin off-season training. Guess who showed up at 4.30 a.m. on Monday? Russell Wilson. Really? 4.30 at the facility, waiting for the staff to open the weight room. He was in the building, and has been in the building 4.30 most every morning, ahead of the coaches. So obviously, he's dedicated. I think he's really excited about Mm -hmm. the arrival of Sean Payton. And that's what you want from your leader. You know, I like it. Let let me take the flag. You follow me into the building. Mm-hmm. 4.30 in the morning is pretty doggone good, waiting, <laughs> yeah. waiting for the staff to open the door uh-huh. to the weight room. So that's, that's a fascinating story there. You got the uh, entire Patriot situation, which to me is unraveling. You got the Mac Jones situation where he played poorly where he was peeved at the fact that they had Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, defensive guys, as the co-coordinators on Belichick's staff. Then the report that came last week that Mac Jones was so upset at the deterioration of the Patriot offense, he called the coaches at Alabama that he played for to say, what should I do? What can I do? And and one of the coaches he talked to was Bill O'Brien. And Bill O'Brien is now the new offensive coordinator in New England. Okay. But O'Brien is a Belichick guy, and O'Brien told Belichick, this is uh, what your quarterback's doing, and Belichick's right. furious. And they shopped them in the offseason. Nobody wanted to trade for Mac Jones. So this really bears watching as to this relationship, whether O'Brien can be the glue that kind of puts everything back together in New England, because I think they got roster problems, and I don't know how they're going to solve it, because I don't think Belichick has been a great draft player personnel guy, and I don't think in terms of free agent acquisitions that he spent Robert Kraft's money positively. So that bears watching. So we're a couple of weeks out from, from the draft, but those are the dominoes that fell this week. So tell me what you think, if you were the Houston Texans, if you're going to trade back, so you're, you're going to not pursue Stroud or Young. And you want to get some, you know, defensive end guy, you know, that's great. But who's going to be your starting quarterback to start the season? I mean, is it going to be one of the lesser, uh, you know, quarterbacks in the draft? Or are they going to roll David Mills out there again? Or are they going to try to get some other veteran? Or what do you do? Well, their record is 11-38-1 over the last three years. It's pretty horrid. Yeah. You know, they've turned the roster upside down. All the stars of yesteryear, starting with Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins, are all gone. Uh, Somewhere along the road, you have to get a stud quarterback to live in this league. And their two quarterbacks, as we had lunch today— were your guy Davis Mills and the other guy they dragged in there, Case Keenum, who's, quote, just a guy. Yeah. Now, if you play great defense and you can run the football, I guess you can be competitive with just a guy. But the book is writing that neither Bryce Young nor C.J. Stroud is just a guy. So don't you need to make a commitment when you have the chance to get a stud? Yeah. To get the stud? But D'Amico Ryan seems to think, I can live with Case Keenum as my quarterback for a year or two, or we'll go find somebody for a year or two. We're going to punch you in the mouth with the kind of defense we're building. They had a good defense last year, and they got the second pick and I think the 12th pick this year. And if they, Will Anderson is just a tremendous rush linebacker defensive end. Um, I still think it's a quarterback's lead, John, and you got to have a guy, and that guy would be C.J. Stroud. Yeah, he'd be young. You have to develop him. You grow him, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But you got a better chance of having a long-term run with C.J. Stroud than you would with Case Keenum yeah. or some guy that you pick up later in the offseason or pick up in the third round this year that you got to develop. So it's a it's a weird way of being doing business because you only get one kick at the can probably in the course of your you being the general manager, one chance 
to really get a difference maker at quarterback. And to me, either Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud would be the difference maker. Yeah, I mean, and they have to win now. I mean, these guys don't have like a 10-year rebuilding program. I mean, they got to turn it around in a year or two. So I, I'm just I'm just befuddled by this. I don't know what they're going to do there. Um, and, you know, we, we all thought Garoppolo was going to go, you know, to Texas. Based on past experience with D'Amico Ryans in Frisco. Yeah, and that would have made a lot of sense. But so I don't know what the heck they're, they're up to. But the, the draft's coming in a few weeks. It's going to be a lot of fun. On we go. Next topic of the NFL. We're waiting for the dominoes to fall on this. Depending on which report you read and believe at this hour, deal is done or deal's about to get done or somebody's playing the prices right. Yeah, well, thank goodness. I mean, let's let's get the drama out of this. I want to see the Washington franchise, you know, back as one of the premier teams. Let me walk walk you back on what's happened in the last forty eight hours. Uh, Daniel Snyder. Selling the franchise has already vacated the facility, no longer making the day-to-day decisions. Franchise will be sold. The big story, item one, Jeff Bezos, Amazon owner, was supposed to put a bid in, never did. I'm led to believe that whatever conversation took place between the people handling the negotiations with Bezos and the people handling the negotiations on behalf of Dan Snyder said price tag $7 billion. And Bezos said, I'm not paying $7 billion for this franchise and then have to pay to build a new stadium. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Stepping away. Well, this morning comes a report that Bezos walked away from that, redirected his glance towards the West Coast. He may talk to the ownership of the Seattle Seahawks, Jody Allen, Paul Allen's widow, mm. about buying the Seattle Seahawks at a more reasonable price. So that's why Bezos... Seems to be out there. Hmm. Now, the latest report is that there seems to have been an agreement in part for the Washington franchise to be sold to Josh Harris. He owns the Philadelphia 76ers. He owns the NHL New Jersey Devils. The man has enormous wealth. Now, we also heard, though, that there's a Canadian group that's still out there. And somewhere along the way, there's a rumbling that maybe Snyder Although there's a tentative agreement, hasn't signed anything, that he's waiting for the Canadian guy to come back and top the $6 billion offer that Josh Harris made. Uh, the league office is sitting there in New York, really frustrated that this guy's playing the prices right. And he's trying to cash every chip he can so he can just leave with the biggest profit of all time. Highest price ever paid for an NFL franchise was a year plus ago at Denver when that was sold to the Rob Walton and Walmart group, $4.6 bill. This is $6 bill. And Snyder reportedly wants seven bill for it. So Ooh. I don't know where this is going to go. But if I were a betting man, it looks like it's a done deal. There's a, there's an undercurrent of conversation. But if Snyder does not take this deal and get this deal done and get off the books and get out of the room, the league owners could go back, call a special meeting and vote to eject him from the league. Oh, wow. Because there's so much junk and there's so much dirt with all these different investigations that are still going on and have not released the public file on, on what they found. And I think they've found probably a lot of dirt behind the curtain under the rug with the way Daniel Snyder operated this franchise. So that's that's where we are now. We think they're on the brink of being sold to the Josh Harris Group, Philadelphia, New Jersey. And if that's the case, people in New Jersey will say or in, in Washington will say, yay, new owner bad guy gone. He made all that money. Yeah. I mean, they, they say that a lot in D.C., you know, yeah. the bad guy gone. But uh, uh, the, the, the I remember just, you know, five, six years ago when when the Clippers were sold Steve Ballmer, and that was for two bill. And we were all blown away by that number. Like, oh, my God, sports franchises for two billion. Now seven, seven billion. I mean, wow. I mean, that's something. That's what he's asking for. Isn't it interesting that the franchise that got sold in L.A. was run by a really bad citizen? This guy's a bad citizen, too. On we go. Let's talk about something different. Let's talk about people leaving, people coming. Yeah, I, I, I saw this in your in your headlines when you shared them with me before the podcast started. And this is an interesting story with a high school coach here in San Diego County. I mean, I, I'd like to hear your take on this. Uh, this was an unbelievable man. I have great respect for guys who find their level and find their comfort zone to do what they do at the high school level because you interact with kids from all backgrounds. And we're talking about the passing of Herb Meyer, legendary coach Oceanside Pirates, legendary coach El Camino, Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame athletic director, 35 years total working with young people, young kids. 
didn't need to be a college coach. I had no no idea that maybe I should try the National Football League. And he's working in tough situations. I don't think Oceanside right now is what Oceanside used to be, but what a great run he had there. And then he transferred all that uh, in into El Camino. And he's passed away at the age of 87, Hall of Famer with the two different jobs that he had. Uh, he won 10 different titles over the course of his career, record of 339, 148, and 15. History will write probably the three greatest high school football coaches in San Diego County, and high school football is huge here, were him, Herb Meyer, John Carroll, who had been at Oceanside for mm-hmm. a long time, and John Shacklett, who coached in the inner city in the South Bay in San Diego. Those are the three, I think, greatest high school football coaches in San Diego County. And what's the common thread they had? They came, they stayed, and they influenced so many young people. Mm. I remember having a conversation with Raider wide receiver Doki Williams, who played at El Camino for Herb Meyer, and just talked about the man and his values, and his teaching. And you have to understand this. These coaches are dealing with kids from all types of backgrounds. Kids from broken homes. Mm -hmm. Kids from families with drug problems. Kids who have had siblings or family members killed with guns. They're not just dealing with the, the kid who comes from money that happens to play high school football. So for these guys to take these jobs, stay at these jobs, and have such a sphere of influence... To me, it's unbelievable. Uh, Another sad note, we just lost an assistant coach who'd been at San Diego State. Jim Herrick Jr. has passed away. He's the son of the legendary UCLA coach. Mm. He was an assistant coach with the Aztecs for a short period of time during the the bad Jim Brandenburg run. A good guy, young guy, uh, followed in his father's footsteps, coached with Jim Herrick Sr. uh, at Georgia at the University of Rhode Island, then got out of it. I lived in San Marcos, uh, passed away from brain cancer at the age of 58. Really nice man. Mm. And, of course, his dad, I, I think, is one of the really special people in college basketball for what he did at UCLA, much, uh, much less other places. The addition is at Southern Cal, and this is kind of a surprise. Cliff Kingsbury, who failed in the NFL, uh, has been hired back at USC to work for Lincoln Riley as an offensive consultant, hmm. and he will work, obviously, with, with Caleb Williams, uh, who I think is a Heisman Trophy finalist again uh, at, at Southern Cal. So your, your response to my theory about those men and how they influence kids in high school football and obviously what happened at Southern Cal? Well, I think that's true. I mean, there are a lot of great high school coaches in all different kinds of sports that have been there a long time that have helped build a culture in those programs and have have been almost like role models, like second parents for a lot of these athletes. So it's to your point, it's nice to see a guy find their level. But, you know, was 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 Meyer, was he there when Junior Seat was there in Oceanside? No, that was afterwards. Oh, it was afterwards. So, uh, but, you know, there there is just so much great athletic talent, especially in football. I mean, how many Heisman Trophy winners yep. have come out of San Diego County? My gosh. So, uh, interesting to see Kingsbury uh, land on his feet, you know, because he obviously struggled in, in Phoenix, but you had always said he was a bright light. So, he's got a lot to offer SC. Maybe he's going to, you know, do what, what Pete Carroll did and kind of find his way back into the NFL. Could well be. On we go. Final topic on the table before we get to fans forum. You wanted to fire a slap shot at me. <laughs> yeah. I'll make a kick save. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I I just need, you know, I tell you, I'm not a big hockey guy. And, and I'm trying to learn more. I'm trying to pick a team and get enthusiastic about it. This playoff run. So, you know, bring me up to speed. Well, NHL playoffs start in a week. And okay. you got the Boston Bruins who have now obliterated every record in the National Hockey League in terms of wins and in terms of total points and in terms of goal scoring. What Boston's accomplished with the Bruins, and nobody out here is paying attention to it because it's over there on the East Coast. Yeah, exactly. Boston, Boston's going to finish the season with 65 wins probably, 133 points as of right now. And Boston's got not only the 60-goal scorer, David Pasternak, they've got 11 other guys that have scored double-digit goals this season. I mean, it, firepower is unbelievable. So. Wow. Boston in the East playing the Maple Leafs or the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're, I mean, they're on a collision course. Somebody's got to play Boston in the first round, the second round. Wow. So keep that in mind. Out here on the West Coast, uh, you got the Kings having a mystical season. Uh, they're going to finish the campaign and be ready for the playoffs. What a job Rob Blake has done as general manager. 
You know, they, they, they got Anzi Kopitar, who was one of the last guys from the original Kings, and he's a 30-plus goal scorer. They traded for Kevin Fiala of Minnesota. They made the, the free agent acquisition to get Philippe Deneau from the Montreal Canadiens, who I think's quite a role player. Uh, they got a number one draft pick. It took them three years to get Gabe Velarde healthy. He's pushing 25 goals on the season. Kings are a really good team. And in goal, they got Junis Corposalo, who they traded for at the deadline, who used to backstop the Nashville Predators. And they got the, this journeyman who's just had an electric season in Phoenix Copley. I think his record's 21-4. and four. So the, the Kings are dangerous going to postseason play. The Ducks season will end uh, after this Thursday night game. I hope they don't fi- fire Dallas Akins, the, the ex-Gulls coach. He's tried really hard with a very young team. They've force-fed a lot of young guys who were not ready. That's been a struggle. Uh, that being said, they're going to get a lottery pick. They're either going to draft one or two or three, and there are some generational players in in the Ontario Hockey League and in Western Canada. They're going to get another really good young stud to add with Trevor Zegers and add with Mason McTavish and to, to add with Jamie Drysdale. And they have $38 million salary cap space available once we get to July 1st. So wow. I would hope that Dallas Akins, who's been really loyal and I think is a really good teacher and did a nice job with the goals, I hope they'll give him another year to try to take another step forward. But it's been a hard season because they're just not real competitive because they're so young. It's so tough for them to score goals. So that's where we are with the NHL. Well, you know, we're just talking about how the Kings are in the NBA playoffs. They're also in the NHL playoffs. That might be a team to follow. But let me ask you a hockey question because you have so much history as a play-by-play man in, in both hockey and in the NFL. Which which sport did you enjoy the most? Oh, I loved them all. Uh, there's no argument there. I love I love doing both of them. I grew up in hockey, so that's where I had my first taste. One of my biggest thrills ever in hockey it was the first time I ever broadcast from Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. Mm. Think about that as a kid, the gondola, Maple Leaf Gardens. And then the first time I went into the Montreal Forum with the Flying Frenchman and all that mystique and all that history and going to Western Canada where Gretzky played for the Edmonton Oilers. So... You know, that was my first love. And then obviously I wound up in the National Football League and my first love became the Chargers and the Super Bowl run and, and all that. So I, I like the whole thing. I will tell you this, though, the playoffs, that's a different animal. It is <laughs> such a different feel. I don't care whether you're the Boston Bruins and you've just shattered the single season record for wins and points and goals scored, or you're the last team in and you get the chance to play in the playoffs. The minute you walk into the room, the first night of the playoffs is just a different environment and playing playing for the crest is the most amazing thing I, I think these guys ever ever experienced. Not easy. I think it's the toughest trophy in sports to go get. Yeah. I mean it's it's a tough one. And it's just a different game. I mean the way these guys come in on these these line changes and they, they just it's like a sprint the whole game. So again I'm I'm a rookie fan on this. So maybe I'll pick the Kings and I can have like two teams going in parallel <laughs> with the NBA Kings and the NHL Kings. All right, here we go. Thursday podcast, time for fans forum. We got people got questions. Fire us a quick question right now if you can. And again, uh, please we remind you when when you watch us on our podcast, share it with other people, tell all your friends what we're doing, give them an opportunity to be part of it, and also give us a thumbs up. Questions, John, go ahead. Okay. Well, this one is from Brett Shepard, and this comment came in when we were talking about the Padres roster and the batting order, and he says, teams always look good on paper. I concur. Uh, and, and on paper, it's based on what have you done in the past. And, you know, just, just off the top of mind, when you think on paper, you think Soto hitting 290 in Washington for all those years. You don't think of him 217. You think of the great accomplishments Manny Machado had with the Orioles and what we're seeing here in the last year and a half uh, with the Padres. And then obviously who you Darvish is, what Joe Musgrove became. So that's why that's why on paper you get excited. But it is a grind of a season. I, as I told John last week, it's a small sample size. Don't freak out yet. Uh, I mean, if we're sitting here in mid-June, and somebody we know has got an ERA around 7, and somebody we know is struggling to get above 201, then we can start being critical. But uh, on paper, based on past productivity, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, my wife and I were just talking about this, and she just felt like, 
She's so disappointed because our expectations were through the roof. I think everyone expected the Padres to come out like the way the Tampa Bay Rays have come out. And it's been tough. And so, you know, imagine if they got Musgrove back in the rotation, if they get Tatis in right field, if, um, you know, if Pomeranz kind of finds his way back onto this team, I mean, he can contribute. Oh, and then there's uh, um, Robert Suarez is going to be coming back. I mean, in a few weeks, this team could be very different. Your wife just wonders why you say those things broadcasting from left field sometimes. <laughs> On we go. Next question. All right, let's move on. We got some good YouTube comments here. And uh, this one was an interesting one. This is when we did the, the YouTube video short about Kyrie <coughs> Irving. And Taryn M.M. says, uh, great player, questionable person is the best description of Kyrie I have heard. Well, I think he's poisoned based on track record. I don't care what the back of the basketball card says in terms of points and assists and rebounds and all that. Look at the end result and the wreckage he leaves behind him. That being said, Jason Kidd says he wants the guy back. Now, there's an intangible piece to this conversation. They had the exit meetings with Kyrie Irving and the rest of the Dallas Mavericks this week after, you know, their seasons kind of crashed and burned to the end. And and they told Kyrie, we want you back. But they told Kyrie, we want you to make a decision on this max contract offer now. Mm. We don't want you dragging it out all summer long and then disappearing and going somewhere else. So if, if he wants to be there, he needs to commit to be there so they can go on with whatever building they can do around he and Luka Doncic. But it allows he finish the season. Uh, when Kyrie and Doncic played together, there were 5-12. and 12. Five Ooh. and 12. And I, th- I think the number I looked at, I want to say their overall record since they made the trade was like seven and 14 or seven and 17. It was hard. Uh, so if he wants to be there, he's going to need to commit to be there rather than go out and play free agent on the market. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah, lots of drama with that guy. All right, let's move on down the list here. This is from Rob's HK talking about the Aztecs. And he says, hey, it's real simple, Hacksaw. The Aztecs have accomplished the necessary foundation over the last 20 years with Fisher and Dutch. They own the Mountain West, but in order for them to become a national brand, they need to consistently make the tournament and win in the tournament. They need deep runs just like this year, uh, and they need to win a national title within the next three to five years. Well, uh, they have to win at the biggest stage to take the next step. Well, everybody, I think, looks at what Gonzaga became. Small Catholic school, Spokane, Washington, how they've done that. Gonzaga's done it with with European players, guys they developed, and guys who transferred in. So there's a big issue there. Can the Aztecs take it to the next level? What they did was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Now, can they repeat that? Can they go a couple of rounds deep into the tournament and become a national team? Remains to be seen. Uh, I, I think there's an intangible thing here because we're also out there out there in the parking lot. We're waiting for the offer from the Pac-12 conference to come be our expansion member. One of the private concerns I have is how are they going to do this financially? Because everybody in the Pac-12 gives out a bigger number to every one of their athletes in the NIL. Mm. And I don't know that San Diego State's got more wealth that they can tap to be a player. I don't think being in the Pac-12 and offering you $2,000 a month as your NIL stipend is going to work when some of these other schools, notably at Oregon and at Southern Cal, are offering kids tons of money, mm-hmm. maybe six figures to a star player. So that that that's a, a thing that it's an intangible part of this equation of how they're going to do this financially. I have no doubt how great Dutcher can be. I have no doubt as a recruiter, as a sales pitch guy, as a teacher of the specialness of that defense, and as a leader of men, the Dutcher can do that. But I think what I fear in the Pac-12, more the Mountain West, it's all about this. And I don't know if they got the ability to raise this in the NIL reaction. Yeah, well, they do. They got to figure something out. You know, it's just as a side story, is that UC San Diego... They, they just raised 
$3 billion to help rebuild part of that campus. So there's a lot of money here in San Diego. If they go about fundraising, I think they can build on it, and there's no better time to cash in than now with the Aztecs. I agree. Next question. All right, let's move on here. This is from Paul Scherf talking about Austin Eckler. Hey, it's real simple, Hacksaw. I'm sick of players signing a contract they have no intention of completing. How could it be the owner being cheap if nobody else wants to pay six and nobody is making significantly more? Well, I understand that. The the running back position has been devalued in the National Football League right now. And the fact that Zeke Elliott was told you're taking a pay cut from 10 down to 5. Now, the highest paid back is Christian McCaffrey. He's going to make 12 mil this year in San Francisco. Uh, And he's really productive. But so is Austin Eckler. I just think you need to take care of your marquee players. You did it for Keenan Allen, who was very productive. Mm -hmm. You did it for Mike Williams, who was productive when he was healthy. Don't you need to have the same standard to do it with Austin Eckler? Third most productive running back in the last six years in the league, and he's the only 15th highest paid running back at the position. Now, I'm not saying give him $15 million. I'm not saying even give him Christian McCaffrey money. If I were king, I'd bump him immediately. I'd bump him from 6 to 10. He's earned that. He's outplayed the contract. Mm-hmm. And then next year, you try. You have to negotiate starting at 10 next year, and if he you can't get it done, then you franchise tag him. And the tag next year probably is going to be about $12 million. And then you work on one-year contracts going forward. But just to create this aura of we don't care about you, you sign for six, play for six, when he's outproduced the $6 million figure, I think that's wrong. I may, you know, if I were a king, I would do that. I would not screw this thing up because they're so close to being so good, but he's an integral part of what's made them good. Am I right or am I right? No, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just no different than, uh, you know, when we go to work for some company. You know, I mean, obviously there are market forces that determine what our salaries are, but sometimes businesses need to step up to retain their talent. And sometimes they have to overpay a bit. And this is, I think, one of those cases. On we go. Got another good question or two here before we wrap up our Thursday podcast. Yeah, we do. And this is from Cole Latshaw. He says, hey, Lee, great content. Super happy I stumbled across your account. One question I'd wonder is how are baseball purists and diehards, how receptive are they to these changes? Is shorter length of a game good thing for these people? Are paying customers happy with being given less entertainment for their dollar? Here in Philly, alcohol sales are cut off in the seventh inning. So you're essentially talking about less than two hours to have a beer and watch the game. And as a purist, I haven't been a fan of the changes like the reliever minimum batters faced and and think the pickoff limit this year makes the game look comical. Well, Cole, I'm going to argue with on a whole bunch of things. I understand you beefing about beer. I was a kid growing up and I grew up at Yankee Stadium, Ebbets Field Polo Grounds. Mm hmm. In my mind's eye, the thing I remember watching the games with my dad, this guy walking down the aisle, cold beer, cold beer. <laughs> yeah. I think what, what baseball has to address, and they're starting to address it right now, they're going to change the beer sales. Some of the clubs have already said we're going to sell beer through the eighth inning now. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they're going to hire more people to be walking down the aisles in game, cold beer. So I think that'll <laughs> solve that problem for Cole. I like all the rule changes. Uh, you know, we we had a game that went an hour 57 last week, which is absolutely amazing. I, I think they add more offense to the game. The DH in the National League, I think, is a positive. The ban on the shift is a positive. Thank goodness for Ricky Henderson, Lou Brock, and all those guys and their style. That's going to change the game. Speed now becomes back an important part of the game. Your ability to throw guys out on the bases is going to be huge going forward. So I I think they've done a lot of right things. Um, granted, it's early in the season, but all the numbers, the metrics that I've, I've studied seems to point in the direction everybody's happy, happy and Cole, that guy will be coming down the next inning yelling, Cole, be up to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I liked all the rule changes, too. Um, but remember, we talked about this. What, what would the economic impact be on the game by these rule changes and shortening the time, less advertisers, less TV time? I would like to see, I mean, when you extend the, 
the the beer cutoff from the seventh inning to the eighth inning. I mean, you don't want people, you know, down in beers right before they drive off the stadium. Why not open the the stadium up two hours early and have a big happy hour celebration and be able to monetize the experience that way and make a you know a, a great overall evening or or day for the people that attend. I, I think that's kind of novel, um, but again, to open a stadium early so you can go watch batting practice and buy beer means you got to staff the stadium earlier, which Ah. means you're you're taking on a bigger cost with your staff. Mm. So, you know, they got to, they'd have to be there at three if you're going to open the thing for five. And so fans could go watch BP and do autographs and maybe even have beer at at five o'clock. So I, I think the major league executives, they'll figure out what has to change and like I say, I think they'll put guys in the stands selling cotton candy and cold beer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I I like all the positives to the games. And there's no doubt, and it's interesting as we go through the season now, we get to talk to more players. It's going to be interesting to see the players' response to the batter's box rules and the pitcher's response to the psyche of having to pitch at a much faster tempo. I still think that's to be determined as to whether these guys, the players themselves, actually like it or dislike it or think it's a a detriment to the game. Well, I think, well, even Manny Machado, you could tell he's still a little peeved by the changes, but they're trying to adjust to it. And I think they understand big picture. It's good for the sport. I like the fact there's the the base running is electric now. And yeah, it's stressing out our our Austin Nola, you know, he can't make the throw as effectively, but it's just making the games a lot more exciting. And as an old-time baseball guy, I'm, you know, I like these changes. I think they're refreshing. And uh yeah, the game can sometimes drag, you know, strike out, walk, strike out, home run. I mean, why not get some more of this athletic play in there? And in in terms of the broadcast, you watch Padre baseball. You get the commercials between innings. Now, there's one less commercial per inning because they're getting back to play. Mm-hmm. And obviously you get the shorter commercial during pitching changes. But you watch during the course of the play-by-play when there's a bit of dead time, they flash on a 15-second commercial right there on the box. Yeah, they do. Yeah. While Don and Mud are still yapping and yakking. Mm-hmm. So what what you do is what, what baseball's done and what, what the rights holders have done is okay, uh, our inventory is our inventory, but now we have to reposition where the inventory goes. And now, now you start dropping in these 15 second. Here's a word from boom. Yeah. And then here's the next pitch. So it's the creative juice of how you package the game. I call everything we're talking about, I think, is a positive <laughs> to baseball. Hey, listen, hope you've enjoyed our Thursday podcast. A reminder, we're back here normally on Mondays for bonus coverage. And we invite you to tell everybody about what we're doing on our podcast. Share, tweet, text, Instagram people. Let them know what we're doing with our po- podcast and let them know about my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. John, have yourself a great sports weekend. We'll see you come time Monday for bonus coverage. Looking forward to it. Thanks for being with us. Have yourself a great sports weekend, too. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.